So if you'd like to open your Bibles with me, we explore God's Word together today. We're going to go back to Luke 10, and we're going to finish looking at this whole story that we began three weeks ago, where Jesus sends out his 72 into the villages and the towns that he himself would be going to, to preach and to teach. Now don't be sad, this will be our last time this year that we explore Luke's Gospel. Like not, there's not, it wasn't even a ah uh, or anything there, was there? So this will be the last time today that we, we're going to pause in our exploration of Luke's Gospel. Next week is Remembrance Sunday. Steve is going to be leading that service for us. The week after that, we have, I, I'm not sure if we can say a visitor or not, but we have Derek Stringer coming, because he's part of the fabric, isn't he? You know, So Derek Stringer is going to be coming and, and preaching here in person, not, not on screen, like he did really helpfully for us. Uh, and what a wonderful message that was, powerful message. But he's going to come and visit us over that weekend. Tracy, I hope you know, know he's coming. Good. That's fine, that's fine. And then after that begins Advent, 27th of November, we begin our Advent season, and more on that in a few weeks to come. I don't want to uh, get told off too much for talking about Christmas. Wonderful. So if you have Bibles open into Luke 10, and this week we will start at verse 17. So the disciples had been sent out by Jesus, and we read, The 72 returned with joy, saying, Lord, even the demons are subject to us in your name. And he said to them, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. Behold, I have given you authority to tread on serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy, and nothing shall hurt you. Nevertheless, do not rejoice in this, that the spirits are subject to you, but rejoice that your names are written in heaven. Heavenly Father, Lord, what a, an honour and a privilege we have to be able to gather this morning without fear of persecution to open your word, explore what you have to say to us this morning. Lord, I pray that you give us all ears to hear and hearts to receive the message that you have for us today and help us to apply it into our own lives as we then look to head out into the world next week. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Rejoice. Rejoice. It's not it's not really a word that we often hear used in modern vocabulary, is it? Well, I, I certainly don't often hear it in general conversation with people. But though we may not necessarily use the word rejoice much anymore, we do still rejoice and we do still understand and recognise its meaning. Because to rejoice is to show great joy. Great joy 
and great delight. Rejoicing is often a response to a positive event or a situation. It can be a response to a revelation or maybe a realisation that we have come to. It can be a happy response, sometimes a euphoric response and one which can leave fond memories in our heads and our hearts. Now, rejoicing seems quite hard at the minute, doesn't it, in our current climate with everything else that's going on around us. But I'm sure that every one of you here today can remember a time when you did rejoice, when you expressed great joy, when you expressed great delight. So who's brave enough to share a moment with us about a time when uh, of great joy for you or great delight? Who wants to, who wants to share something with us? Amen. Amen. When your son and daughter were born. Who else? On the day I got married. Oh, that's brownie points right there, Barry. <laughs> Anyone else? Amen. Absolutely. And that was a joyous moment, wasn't it? Amen. Someone over here. <laughs> Absolutely. That is a time of rejoicing. Anyone else? So what about over here? This morning. Amen. Praise God. Praise God. I know it seems, you know, we don't all want to sort of speak publicly, and that's absolutely fine. But I'm sure that like the people who who felt that they could open up uh, uh, and say it amongst us all today, you all have something that you can remember, something in your past or your present that you are just so joyful about. It brings such delight to you. And that in itself is a wonderful thing. I mean, obviously, like Barry, you know, I'm, I'm incredibly joyful for my wife. You know, and, uh, and the marriage that we have. I'm trying to get my brownie points now, Barry. She's sitting at home watching. She's probably like, oh, you creep. Something like that anyway. <laughs> so Jesus' disciples had lived with him. And we've seen that. We've seen this constantly, haven't we? But we must keep reminding ourselves of this because scripture demands that we continue to remind ourselves of this. Jesus' disciples had lived with him for nearly three years. They had watched as he ministered, as he proclaimed to those with ears to hear that the kingdom of God was near to all who had ears to hear. They had witnessed firsthand the power of God working in Jesus as he himself healed the sick, cast out demons. And as we have seen these past three weeks, they themselves had been sent out to do the same. Not an easy feat. Jesus had sent the 72 to go into the towns and the villages that he would visit on his route to Jerusalem. 
to put into practice everything they had seen him do and proclaim to everybody in the towns and villages what he had taught them to say. But now it was the time for them to return back to Jesus to share all that that had happened, share their experiences with him. Our passage today gives us insight into their return and their debrief with Jesus. And to help us unpack this conversation, I've simply split it down into three headings. The disciples' joyful surprise, the disciples' glimpse of a bigger picture, the disciples, sorry, and finally, the disciples' real reason to rejoice. So let's explore this. The disciples' joyful surprise. In verse 17, we are told that the 72 returned with joy, saying, Lord, even the demons are subject to us in your name. The question we must ask is, why were they joyful? I mean, let's be honest. They'd been sent out into a hostile environment with a message that wasn't very popular and wouldn't have been very popular in the places that they had gone to share. And as John really, what a great message last week from John. We've, the whole reason Jesus taught what to taught them what to do in the event that they were rejected is proof enough that they were not going to have an easy time and that they should be expecting to face problems on this mission. But I believe in this simple verse, it tells us why. During their ministering, they had had, I believe, a revelation. They had awoken to the realisation that not only did they see the sick healed, not only did they see many come to salvation through the preaching of the kingdom of God, but they had also witnessed the reality that even demonic forces were subject to them. And that reality surprised them. If you remember back in verse 9 of Luke 10, and we looked at this a couple of weeks ago, when Jesus explained the task he was sending them out to accomplish, he said to them, heal the sick and say to them, the kingdom of God has come near to you. Now there's no mention of Jesus telling them to perform exorcisms on people. Sure, they would have expected people to respond to the kingdom message and even expected to see healings because Jesus had told them so. So that's no shock. But in their response to Jesus, they seem shocked that demons obeyed their command. Their response said, Lord, even the demons are subject to us in your name. Even the demons. I'm sure this comes back off a a conversation that they were having with Jesus saying, we saw people healed. We saw people, you know, come, come to believe in you and believe in the kingdom of God. But Lord, even the demons were subject to us. 
The only logical explanation for this, even in the past, in this passage, is that they hadn't expected that to have happened. The disciples were full of joy because they had witnessed the advancement of God's kingdom through their ministering, watching as people were set free and healed. And I am sure that we would have been full of joy if we had been there and witnessed that ourselves. But I would suggest to you that their joyful surprise was due to the revelation of the power of God working in them and through them to the extent that even satanic forces would obey their command. Jesus taught this. They would have seen it in Jesus, but that's very different to you being out there in yourself and seeing demons listening and obeying the words that you have in Jesus' name, isn't it? It's all well and good seeing Jesus ministering and seeing them obey Jesus. It's Jesus. They knew that he was the Messiah. They may have not have come to the full revelation up to this point that he was God incarnate, but they knew he was the Messiah sent by God. So it wouldn't have been a shock for them. But to see demonic forces obey them, when they're out ministering and standing in Jesus' name as a representative of Jesus, no wonder it shocked them. This brings us to our second point, the disciples' glimpse of the bigger picture at work here. Jesus goes on to give them a glimpse of this bigger picture He says in verse 18, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. What does that mean? (laughs) What's going on here? Had Jesus witnessed in the spiritual realm Satan literally fall from heaven? Had he had a vision? Was he referencing what has happened or what will happen? In essence, we could in a roundabout way say yes to many of those things. It has been suggested that Jesus had the words of the prophet Isaiah in his mind when he was uh, replying to the disciples. The poetic words spoken of the fall of the king of Babylon, but likened to that of Satan's fall from grace. How you are fallen from heaven, Isaiah writes, O Daystar. Daystar being also a, uh, you can replace that with Lucifer. O Daystar, son of the dawn, how you are cut down to the ground, you who laid the nations low. The fall of Satan happened before Adam and Eve's temptation in the Garden of Eden. Satan had become prideful. He'd become prideful, lifting himself up with this desire to want to be worshipped as God Almighty is worshipped. But the reality, and many of us know that, is never going to happen. It's never going to happen. God was having none of it, and he cast him out of heaven. 
from the place and position that he had in heaven. From that moment, and for reasons only known to God, the devil has been allowed to rule and wreak havoc on the earth. But all the while, all the while, the devil knows that his time is short. He knows that God has him on a short leash because one day Jesus will banish him to hell forever. Praise God. Praise God for that day. There will be rejoicing in heaven when that happens, I'm sure, and we will all be part of it. Paul speaks of this moment in 1 Corinthians when he explaining uh, when explaining the resurrection of the dead to the church in Corinth. He says that when the time is right, Jesus will deliver the kingdom of God, the kingdom to God the Father, of destroying every rule and every authority and power, including Satan himself and all of his evil works. Remember, the Bible refers to Satan as the prince of the air, the ruler of the earth. So absolutely, this demise includes Satan and all of his dominions, dominions, minions, and all who serve him. I would suggest to you that Jesus' declaration that I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven speaks not only of Jesus' defeat over Satan's insubordination at the beginning of time, but also of the victorious spiritual battles being won from that, that moment all the way to this moment that we're reading in Scripture by Jesus and now through his disciples as they stand firm in faith against evil in Jesus' name and claim back ground once occupied by Satan as through them the kingdom of God advances. When Jesus' disciples come back to report their joy over their authority over demons, Jesus, in very few words, tells them they should not have been surprised. They shouldn't have been surprised. That's why he goes on in verse 19 and says, I've given you authority to tread on serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy and nothing shall hurt you. Satan is a fallen foe and since his fall he has always been subject to the authority of the Son of God. Always. So when Jesus' faithful disciples minister via the authority granted to them in the name of Jesus, the whole realm of the demonic forces know they have no choice but to obey. Wow. The HNT commentary sums this up rather well, and I just want to read it to you. It says here, Satan had fallen from heaven. God won the victory. When Jesus' followers dedicate themselves so totally to him that demons respond to their demands, then the kingdom of God is near. 
That's the same for us today. Satan may continue to work in this world, but his ultimate defeat is assured. He has no place in heaven and no power for victory. The kingdom is at hand, the victory is certain, and all that remains is God's timing for the final battle and total victory. That is an amen moment. Because that is the reality. There are still so many Christians that are fearful of Satan, fearful of the work of, of evil. Oh, I could really go into a whole different message now about, you know, the authority that we have, you know, and, and, and oh, no, let's not go there because we could be here all day. That's another message. That's another message. But enough to say that as Christians, we do not need to fear. It doesn't mean the devil will not try. He will try. But we do not need to fear because we stand in the name of Jesus Christ. We are ambassadors for him. We are representatives of the kingdom of God. The moment we gave our life to Christ, we receive the Holy Spirit, the, the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. Wherever we walk, the kingdom goes with us. Wherever we walk, Christ is with us. We have nothing to fear from, the, from, from anything the devil wants to throw at us, but he will try. But in Jesus' name, we stand strong. I'm going to hold back and say any more on that. Then we came to our last point, the disciples' real reason to rejoice. Jesus, after saying these things, he challenges their thinking. He challenges their, or he challenges them to rethink this joyfulness that they are showing in this moment, pointing out that their true joy should arise not from their mission accomplishments, even though there's nothing wrong with being joyful about that, but their true joy should be focused on their eternal salvation. He says in verse 20, Nevertheless, do not rejoice in this. Do not rejoice that the demons are subject to you. But rejoice that your names are written in heaven. Amen. What an amazing thing to hear spoken by the mouth of Jesus. Just place yourself in that moment. How amazing would that sound to you when Jesus says that to you? Your names are written in heaven. Wow. Jesus is, <clears throat> I'm pretty convinced Jesus is referring to the book of life here, which in Judaism and in the New Testament, the book of life is a common image. They would absolutely know what Jesus is referring to here. It's mentioned in 
two or three places in Scripture. First more, first more one I'm going to mention to you is in Revelation 3 in the letter written to the church in Sardis. And it says this, Yet you have still a few names in Sardis, people who have not sold their garments, and they will walk with me in white, for they are worthy. The one who conquers will be clothed thus in white garments, and I will never blot out their name from the book of life. Wow. It's also mentioned again in Revelation 20, during Peter's vision of the judgment before the great white throne of God. It says, when I saw a great white throne and him who was seated on it, from his presence earth and sky fled away and no place was found for them. <clears throat> Excuse me. And I saw the dead, great and small, stand before the throne and books were opened. Then another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged by what was written in the books according to what they had done. She's speaking of the final days, the final days when we're all called before God to account for the lives that we have led. Now for Christians, we know that this isn't a damnation, this isn't a salvation, this is a reward. Uh, um, conversation, if you like, that we have with God, depending on how faithful and how, how uh, effective we have been in sharing his message and advancing the kingdom on earth. But we also know that for those who have rejected Jesus, this is not a reward conversation, this is a salvation. And we know, as we'll look at in a moment, there's only one place where God sends those who have rejected him throughout life. <clears throat> we also see this in, uh, in Paul's final exhortation when he writes to the church in Philippi. And he says this, I ask you also, true companion, help these women who were with him, who have laboured side by side with me in the gospel, together with Clement and the rest of my fellow workers, whose names are written in the book of life. Amen. Jesus was trying to open the disciples' eyes to see that celebrating their Christ-given authority of the forces of darkness is nothing in comparison to the joy of knowing that they are saved and known by the Almighty God. While Satan is cast down from heaven, waiting his final judgment, the disciples are secure and part of God's heavenly census. I'd imagine it, it, doesn't, it doesn't tell us the disciples' response, does it? But I'm sure they would have continued to be joyful in that moment. What a wonderful time. But church, this book is also referred to by another name. It is referred, or sorry, it's also called the Lamb's Book of Life. The Lamb's Book of Life. Not only are the disciples 
names written in the Lamb's Book of Life, but the names of every person who has been redeemed by the blood of Jesus Christ. Every name of every person who has been redeemed by the blood of Lord Jesus Christ. Lord Jesus Christ. The wonderful joyous truth, church, is that if you are here this morning and you believe God came to this earth for you, you believe Jesus went to the cross for you, you believe Jesus took your place and paid the penalty for your sin before a righteous and a holy God, you believe that Jesus raised from the grave and provided you a return back into right relationship with God the Father, and you have by faith surrendered your life to Jesus Christ, turned from a selfish, self-seeking lifestyle to one dedicated to Jesus and to his ways, then friends, I want to tell you this morning that your names are written in the book of life. You are personally known by God and you have eternal presence before him. That is certain. That is certain. And you can cling to that. That is something we should be joyful about, is it not? I'm being really careful what words to say here. When we come to the revelation or being reminded of that truth, that is a joyful moment. Amen. 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 (laughs) That is a joyful moment. It's not just words in a book. This is real. This is real. The words we hear God speak through this is real. It affects our life. It can transform our life. But I worry sometimes that as Christians, we've got so used to hearing it, that when someone says, your name is written in the book of, the Lamb's book of life, we just stand and we sit there and go, yeah, that's great. I get excited in my office when I write this stuff. No word of a lie. I get excited and I amen myself. I mean, only the Lord knows what Kelly thinks in the room next door. It should excite us. Oh, church. <laughs> Lord, help us. Amen. Right, where were we? Bringing it right back in. Bringing it right back, right back into a reality check here. For those of us in this room who are, have given our life, totally surrendered our life, who, who repent every morning saying, Lord, if I messed up yesterday, I'm sorry, help me to do better today. I want to turn from that way of thinking, that way, that lifestyle, what I've, you know, 
They, the old person, I want to focus on you. I've, I want to do everything that you need me to do. I want to be your ambassador and I want to represent heaven here. Then our joyous reward is not only do we have a personal relationship with Jesus now, but we get to enjoy that forever in heaven. That is joyful because our names are written in the book of life. Hall- Hallelujah. But if you are here and you haven't yet given your life to Jesus, I appeal to you this morning, do not delay. Do not delay. If you are feeling that tug on your heart, do not subdue it. Surrender to it. Please, I I appeal to you, let go and give it all to Christ. It will be, I promise you, the best decision you have ever made. Amen. Amen indeed. Because the truth is, the alternative is one not really we should ever be thinking about. The, the, the alternative is a brutal truth. And again, it's revealed to us in Revelation, which simply says this. And if anyone's name was not found in the book of life, was not found in the book of life, they were thrown into the lake of fire, the very place that was created for the devil himself and the forces of evil. Can you see how black and white this really is? None of us will avoid this. None of us can escape this reality. We will all stand before the the judgment seat of God. For those in Christ, glory. For those not in Christ, because they've rebelled against it and gone, oh, that's just a load of rubbish. There is only one, one place. And none of us in this room want to see anyone go there. That's why God established the church on earth so that we go out into the world to preach the good news and to provide people opportunity to respond and answer and say, here I am, Lord, I I answer your call. We don't want to see people go there. The reality, there will be people going there. The even harsh reality, there may even be people in this room who will go there. There's a shocker. But there is truth in it. That's why we all have to check ourselves. If that's you today, if you are here and you're, you're, you're in this moment of, I just don't know whether this is true, I don't know if it's right, I just, is it a load of rubbish? Are they weirdos? You know, if... If, if you're jumping around in this whole train of thought, please come and chat to us. Don't walk out those doors without asking those questions. Come and talk to myself. Come and grab me after the service. Where's, where's the, the, the elders? I don't think there's many here today, is there? So Jeremy's over in the corner there. The prayer team over here. Actually, all the MTLs that are here, just raise your hands for me. So all these people that, oh, most of them are upstairs teaching. <laughs> These, these three wonderful people here. And, you know, come and talk to one of us, please. Don't leave 
without coming and asking what this is all about. Because you do not know what will happen this afternoon. I know this is quite, we're going quite deep here, aren't we? Right? But the truth is, this is the reality. And sometimes we have to go a little bit, a little bit deeper and be a little bit more brutally honest about the God we serve and the reality of why we are here as a church. Please don't leave this, this, this church today without coming and speaking to one of us or come into the prayer area there. Let us help you on this journey. Let us help you to unpack what may be God tugging at your heart because we do not want to see anyone end up in hell. Um, the bands, if you like, the band would like to, to, to come up. So as we bring this to a close, I just want to mention something. I mentioned at the beginning rejoicing. This rejoicing is a normal response to a positive event or situation, or it can be a response to a revelation or a realization that we've come to. And maybe being refreshed of this truth that for us Christians in the room, that our names are written in the book of life, maybe that is that has spurned our heart and actually we're going to walk out here skipping and running down the town going rejoice, rejoice. Yeah? Who knows? Maybe you will. Maybe you will. Please, Holy Spirit. But the truth is that rejoicing isn't always just a response to a happy situation. Rejoicing, rejoicing in the Lord is a is, is a choice that we make, okay? It can be a response to a happy situation, but it is also a choice that we make. You can choose to rejoice, you can choose not to rejoice. I'm hoping now we've come to a fresh revelation, our books, are in, our names are in the night, <laughs> that rejoicing will become really easy to us. I spoke of Paul's exhortation to the church in Philippi earlier, but he goes on to say these words. He says, Rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I will say, rejoice. Paul, out of anyone in Scripture, had many reasons not to rejoice in the Lord, did he not? But I believe that that is one of the meditations of his heart. Rejoice in the Lord always. When he was shipwrecked, rejoice in the Lord always. When he was bitten by the snake, rejoice in the Lord always always, constantly, all the time, I believe that, that they were on his lips. Rejoice in the Lord always. He then goes on to say, let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be known to God and the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Jesus Christ. Rejoice in the Lord always, and again I say rejoice. That means even if you don't feel like it. That means even if the world is collapsing around you. It means that even if you see no way out of your situation, we must be a people who live a life of constant rejoicing, 
whether we are happy, whether we are sad, in the good times and also in the bad times. No, it doesn't make the situations we go through easier. Don't misunderstand me, of course it doesn't make it easier. It's still a struggle, it's still hard. We'll still need help from those around us, from our family, our friends, our church family. Those things will still need to be sought after. But as Christians, we know that in the darkest of nights and in the toughest of situation, we have a God who loves us. A God who cares for us. A God who understands us and the situations that we may be going through. A God who is our constant companion when our heart is breaking. And a God who personally wrote every Christian who is sitting in this room today, he wrote your name in the book of life because he knows you. Amen. If you are having a tough time at the minute and you're really feeling the strain of life, again, please come and speak to us. Come into the prayer area at the end here. There are people that want to help. You don't have to do this alone. But at the same time, if there is something that you want to be joyful about, if there is a moment of rejoicing that has pricked your heart, something at the beginning when I said, oh, you can all remember a moment of, joy, of, of, of joyful, a joyful time, a, a rejoicing moment, then tell someone over coffee. Don't be afraid to tell people, because what you'll find is a lot of the time people need to hear it. They need to hear it. But as we bring this service to a close today, let us carry these words of Paul in our hearts. In everything we do, whether good or bad, rejoice in the Lord. Always, again, I will say, rejoice. Amen. Over to you.